Coming to you from San Jose Mercury News and the Bay Area News Group, it's the TK Show. And now here's your host, Tim Kawakami. Everybody, TK Show with a very special, or at least different episode today. Uh, one where I'm in Memphis, my guest is in Memphis, and our loyal producer, Paul Bach, is holding down the board in San Jose. Uh, somehow, we're going to do this. Um, glad, to, glad to be doing this, though, because the Warriors, Warriors playoffs are rather important, and we're both doing it. My guest for today is Comcast Bay Area's, AKMBR's own Ray Ratto. Ray, was your book especially for this show? Because, one, obviously we're both in Memphis for, for the large series. Secondly, if things screw up, you're the one who most logically can yell at me the best. So I've got no, I've got no problem with any of that. So first of all, how, how I, I understand your travel was really easy to get out here. How, how did that go to yesterday? Uh, you know, you, you, you know, you get a plane problem in Oakland. You okay. get to Houston. Five minutes after the plane you're supposed to get on leaves, and they tell you that you don't get to get on another plane for nine hours. So it sat there, and then I finally get to Houston, not at 1.30 in the afternoon, but 11.30 in the evening, and I can't find my bag for a while. So eventually I landed. Eventually I got my bag. Life is good. No, that's a lie. Life is crap. But we just soldier on. You soldier through. You know what? That's what you're a soldier. And we're here for a little basketball. Warriors aren't practicing until later and won't be available until later today. But I guess my question is the basic one. What do you think changed in the series in game two? And, and what does that mean as the series just did meant this for game three? Obviously, the Warriors losing game two in Oracle. Well, how is the series different now? Well, I think the Warriors were told by the NBA, as the teams in the other three series are also told, look, we got to drag this out. We need some. Yeah. We need some ties. We can't have four sweeps. Yeah. So, so I think they won that first one. Um, well, <laughs> I, they did it very well. They did it very well then. Yeah, they they, they were they got behind early and they stayed behind. They really stayed on script. I was proud of them. Um, now I, I think what happened was relatively simple to figure out. They they haven't yet figured out how to play the game at their pace rather than Memphis's, and I think that's easily fixed. And the rest of it was just basketball. They they didn't think Mike Conley was going to go eight for twelve. I mean, they, I think they thought he was going to be an important figure in there fixing the offense. But you know, I don't think they thought he was going to shoot that well. Um, the rest of it was Draymond Green gets in foul trouble. Clay Thompson has one of his occasional walkabouts, and the bench does next to nothing. I mean, it's, it's you know, I think we fell in love with the notion that the Warriors were invulnerable. And we forgot the fact that three months ago, we all agreed that the two teams they didn't want to see in the postseason were Memphis and San Antonio. And Memphis, after a very spotty game one in which their point guard didn't play, uh, all of a sudden they showed you why they're Memphis. So I don't think this is a crisis. I think this is maybe a return to the equilibrium we believed three months ago and that we decided to stop believing in a month ago when we decided that the Warriors were going to you know, win the, win the tournament in 15 games. Yeah, we like to change our minds. That's the fun part about this. Every game, we change our minds again, and then we change our minds. Maybe we'll, we can just do it every half now or, or every quarter. Um, you guys do a show with Kerr this week uh, in, 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 the, in the meantime there? Um, I was not there for it. I believe okay. it was yesterday, and I think Tommy did it. I, I was know, busy I, I, to, to hobby. Yeah, you didn't do the show from the, air, from the airport. Uh, no, I know, you know, I thought. 
Yeah. Strangely enough, Papados did not have an ISDN line. <laughs> that would have been a good show, though. I would have, I should have joined you for that one. Uh, I, you know, I think we, maybe you, you saw what Kerr said. He was joking there. You know, we're all thrown off. Everything's different. We're going to bench stuff. And obviously, his sardonic wit. Uh, do you think that's the right approach to this? Do you think Kerr's got the right tone for a team that, you know, won 67 games, hasn't really gone through a moment of doubt? Not a serious win, at least, and now they're one and one. And they lose game three. It's going to be serious doubt. Do you think Steve's got this kind of read correctly? I, I think for the moment, yes. Uh, I mean, if you if you have a team that's won seventy two games when you count the five playoff games they've won, and all of a sudden one decisive loss at home throws you off your feed, you're not really meant for this job. Um, I, I think he has to view it that way because I think he regards the problems that they experienced in game two as eminently fixable. And he is, I think, by nature, a guy who doesn't feel that big tweaks are necessary when small tweaks will do the job. You go back to the great Clay Thompson debate. Everybody thought the Warriors needed Kevin Love. They needed to make a dramatic statement and a bold step to the future. And Steve Kerr was adamant in saying, no, I can fix what ails this team with, with, with Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. We don't have to do anything big. And I think that's sort of the viewpoint he should take. I mean, they're still the better team. They're still, they're still better than Memphis if both teams are playing at their optimum. All he has to do is really figure out how to get them to get into their offense quicker than they have been so that they don't end up with a game where they only get 74 shots. Uh, and that's easily fixable. And even though Memphis is, you know, dropping four guys back as soon as a shot goes up and just foregoing the idea of an offensive rebound so that they won't get outnumbered on the defensive end, you can still hurry the ball into the forecourt and get into your offense quicker. And I think that's an, that's an easy enough fix for them. Now, whether that turns out to, to lead to victory is another matter. That means you gotta you got to make shots and you've got to rebound and not throw the ball around 100 times. But I think he regards this as eminently fixable, so he should not give any air of panic. Plus, there's not what difference are what different things can you do after after 80, 88 games? There aren't any. You are who you are at this point, and it's a matter of doing what you do well or not doing or preventing the other team from doing what they do well. So it really is more matchups than it is tactical changes. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. You start making big changes now. You're telling the team. Uh oh, what we're doing isn't going to work. You know, but yeah, we're 72 11, and I don't believe in you. Yep. All of a sudden, everything's got to change. And you know what? Maybe they start doing that for down 2 1. I don't think you do that at at 1 1. Um, You think they got to win game three, though? I I, I don't think they have to win game three if they they know they can win game four. I don't think they're in in panic mode at down 2 1. I think they're in panic mode down 3 1. Because I still think you have to operate on the theory that you're better than they are. Now, it depends. If they get routed in game three and they're completely discombobulated by what Memphis does, yeah, then you you have to act on it. But I don't see this as a team that's going to get blown out by 27. Um, I mean, they were were controlled uh, the other night. And, I mean, and they lost by 15. Or, or they lost by seven. I'm sorry. They won the first game one by 15. They lost by seven playing 
not as poorly as they can, but close to it. So I think they have to believe that they're going to be in this till the till the end on, in Game Three. And so I, I think unless they get blown out and get completely confused by Memphis doing something that it's not going to do, which is all of a sudden change who they are, um, I, I think you just let the game play itself out, you know, and you coach it the way you normally would and, and go from there. I don't think he's going to change the lineup. I don't think he's going to change the rotations. He's not going to all of a sudden, you know, try to have Steph Curry guard Zebo. I mean, it just I think you just decide, okay, we're going to get the ball up faster in transition. And we're going to make shots that we didn't make in game two. This is the old call in the standby, you know, saying this person must step up. Uh, I occasionally do this, but Steph Curry, MVP of the league, we know this, has played fantastically on the road, particularly in big games. At some point, the ball's going to be in his hands, and is this game going to be decided? These two games, the rest of the series, going to be determined by what Steph Curry does? No, I think the game series is going to be determined by what Clay Thompson does. I mean, I think he was more the reason why they lost game two than anybody else, because he was dreadful, not just shooting, but, you know, he did stuff that, you know, you just go, wait a minute, have you decided you wanted to be traded to the Timberwolves? I mean, what are we talking here? Um, He was awful. And I think the Warriors, as much as Curry defines them, they are uh, a classic uh, team is greater than the sum of its parts operation. I mean, they, you know, Draymond Green has to not be in foul trouble. I think he matters, too. But I think the guy they have to worry least about is Curry. I mean, Curry did not look great in Game 2, but nobody did. He looked fine in Game 1. And, I guess, you know, so I don't think he's the worry. I think Thompson's a worry, and I think keeping Green on the floor is a worry. I guess my point isn't, isn't to be concerned about Curry, just that when you get on the road, when you get into some trouble, which, you know, they're going to get into in these two games, so this is going to happen. Your best player and, you know, the player who had the best year in the league is the one who's going to have to make some shots that aren't easy. And we know he does, you know, he can make these kind of shots. And he's going to have to do it. And again, it's Simpleton columnist 101, but I do believe, especially on the road in a playoff situation, your best player has to make the best play. I mean, is that too simple? Uh, yeah, I think it is too simple because I think it is classic columnist think. Um, I mean, again, I, I don't think Curry has been the problem, and I don't think he needs to do something heroic to save them from their doom. I think they are an accomplished enough team that if they get all the parts working as they should, uh, they'll be fine, and Curry will get his shots, and he will get his open looks. But he's not going to get his open looks unless Thompson is involved enough that they force Memphis to pay more attention to him. And I mean, and I think the fact that Green was not on the floor very much and effective in game two is a huge thing because it changes what Memphis has to has to do defensively. I mean, game one, they got out to it quickly because why? Because Green hit three three pointers right away. All of a sudden, Memphis has to defend uh, the Warriors differently. And the fact that he was in foul trouble in three minutes in game two, I think, speaks volumes of, of the difference between two teams. I, I, just, I don't believe that it is a default position that the best player has to be the decisive guy. I think on a team like the Warriors, Curry cannot beat them by himself. So he needs guys who have been good all year 
to be good again. And that the two most obvious choices are Green and, and Thompson. I'll, I'll throw it all in there, too. We can talk, you know, like you, you never, I don't think you ever can count on points from him, obviously. But when he does score, or at least when he shoots the ball, like he thinks he's going to make it, they turn into a different kind of offense. I mean, we know how good he is defensively, although he was letting Tony Allen dribble around him a little bit in game two. It was a little weird. But when Andre Iguodala is aggressive with about, you know, again, it's columnist 101, but when he scores, they're very tough to beat. They're almost impossible to defend because he has the ball in his hands. He can get the steps. He can make a play. He can hit a three. This is when the Warriors don't get touched. But again, you can't you can't say you must shoot the ball if you don't want to shoot the ball, right? I mean, he wants to put three shots up in game two. I don't know if he's going to put up fourteen in game three, but maybe ten. You know, eight to ten out of Iguodala, make a few of them because if they don't have to defend him, just means they can guard everyone else a little bit more. If that's at least in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, Iguodala is important, but I think. He's an he's an ancillary figure, and, and the and the and the three primary figures. And I think to win a championship, you have to have three primary figures. I mean, they're they're the guys we talked about. Iguodala, um, you know, yeah, he, it, it, he. Let's put it this way: the Warriors can win with him playing poorly, but I don't think they can win with him not being a factor and the other two guys either being absent or playing poorly. So I, I think it there it sort of cascades down. You assume Curry will be fine. The next two guys are the guys who, you know, really have to be Memphis, Memphis. Let's switch our topics here a little bit because uh, I do want to bring up Tom Brady and your New England Patriots here. Uh, did you get a little bit of, watch a little bit of his interview with the, the great Jim Gray yesterday? And, and where do you think this is headed? Do you, do you think the NFL possibly is going to suspend him for some amount of time? Well, this is, this is the fascinating thing because – the, the NFL has used him as the poster boy for about a hundred different things. And I think they're, they're almost pot committed to figuring out a way that it's not his fault. And I don't know how they make that happen because the one thing we know about the NFL more than anything else is when confronted by a problem, their first instinct is to throw up all over themselves. Um, I, I've been fascinated by the notion that his legacy needs to be defended because the NFL is a classic, you know, make the myth stand up beyond the facts kind of operation. Uh, I mean, Lawrence Taylor took, you know, took more drugs than Peru. And yet, if you look at, watch his documentary on, on the NFL network, he's a great guy. He's a, you know, he's a fabulous person. So the NFL is not going to worry about that. I think that the real issue here is how willing is Roger Goodell to piss off his most important ally among the owners? And that's Robert Kraft of the Patriots. Because the other owners are looking to see what he's going to do about this. And I don't know that even though Kraft put out that statement saying we will accept our punishment, I don't think they will accept the punishment if it, if it involves Brady missing time or Brady end up ending up being the, the guy held responsible for this. Um, I think they're going to figure out a way to pay a, a far larger fine and Brady not get suspended because Kraft has money, but his emotional investment in Tom Brady is incalculable. And I think that's the sort of happy medium they're going to have to strike. And if the other owners don't like it, 
then Goodell's going to have to use his political skills to make that work. And if he can't do that, then maybe we're looking for a commissioner in three or four years. <laughs> and I don't buy the notion that Roger Goodell has made these guys money. The NFL makes money. Roger Goodell has basically been in charge at a time when programming has been more important than ever, and the NFL as an entity has been better at producing programming than any other sport or really any other entertainment form. So in that way, they don't. he needs the NFL more than the NFL needs him. So I think, you know, if, if, if Kraft wants to put his foot down, I think they'll find the happy medium where it costs Kraft more money if it saves saves Brady. I think Brady is sort of that that's the that that's the line that I think Kraft is unwilling to cross. Yeah, I mean we could talk about this one for we get the whole T V segment on it on this, I think. in this on our rarely seen show, but seriously, which we randomly do now these days. But I don't know. I think Kraft might have been drawing a line. They're saying, you know, the union's going to protect Brady. I'm just saying we're, you know, the, the Patriots as an organization have abided by this, and then we'll see what happens with Brady. Maybe he knows that, that Brady's not getting anything. I don't know. But it just it did seem like there's a little line, you know, obviously he supports Brady and he, and he defended Brady through all this, but there's a little line saying, okay, the Patriots accept this. They're not going to have the Patriots forfeit a game or anything like that. So, you know, if there's a draft pick and it won't be a high one, uh, the Patriots will accept that. And then Brady now has a union, and that is going to go down another path. In my mind, I thought I saw some of that. I might be wrong. Um, and I don't know what you – know, obviously, Kraft has discussions and power plays behind the scenes that, that we're not going to know about. But uh, I'm not sure that this is in control, his control anymore. Um, you know, this is a power you know, I think it's absolutely in his control because I think ultimately Roger Goodell still works for Kraft, not the other way around. And Brady may make it fine. I mean, they they, they find a, a, a Brett Favre in, in the Sackgate controversy with Michael Strahan, but they didn't suspend him. I think they're probably going to find Brady, but not suspend him. And they're going to find the Patriots, but not affect anything that they did in the postseason. And I think Goodell's going to have to make that square with the other owners because Robert Kraft, you know, yes, he's made a ton of money off the Patriots, but he's not a money-only guy. He's one of those guys who likes to be seen. And in New England, Tom Brady is God. And if Bob Kraft is perceived to have thrown Brady under the bus in any way, there's backlash to that that lingers well beyond the end of Brady's career. And I think Kraft is playing for that, too. Is he has to look for the, his fan base and, and New England, which is incredibly provincial, as we know. He has to look like he's going down with the ship with Brady, if that's the perception. And that he's got to do all his political skills to make sure that Brady is insulated as much as possible. And the best way to insulate him, given all the information we have, is to find him but not to spend him. All right, let's just skip over to let's try to do some quick takes here as we wrap this show up. Um, I'm just going to throw out some names That's of your favorite thing. people. <laughs> your favorite people, owners in the Bay Area. And let's get some let's get some quick rattle reactions. Joe Lacob, what are your thoughts? Um, did the one thing owners 
are most loath to do, which is learn from his mistakes. Um, he was a bit of a disaster early, you know, thought merely by not being Chris Cohan that bought him a honeymoon. And it didn't. And he found that out the night of the, of the Chris Mullen at halftime, where he really thought that he could be a hero. And everybody thinks that he got booed because he had traded Monte Ellis. And that was only a small part of it. The real thing with him was he came across like the guy who was trying to upstage Chris Mullen by being the speaker when he could have done himself a huge amount of good by just standing off to the side like he's become better at doing and just applauding as Mullen gets his. Since then, I think he's been far more media savvy and the fact that he hasn't insisted on his way in, in basketball operations as much as he wants to gives me the sign of a guy who, frankly, understands the PR limitations of his gig. He could be a tyrant if he wants, but he's hired the kind of people where he doesn't have to be. And the fact that he's willing to say, okay, do it your way, that's something a lot of owners don't do. And more credit to him for taking the cure. All right, Larry Bear and Charles Johnson. Charlie Johnson, is got, he's got the best deal going. He, he lives in Florida. You watch his money come in. Uh, you never hear from him. You almost never see him. It's perfect. And he leaves Bear to run the Giants with the one caveat being you don't run the baseball operation. That's Brian Sabian's. And it, 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 it's been a great benefit to Bear because he seems sort of less busybody-ish than he used to be. Um, I mean, he's always going to have a perception that he's a little too ubiquitous for everybody's own good. But he's calmed down, too, because I think when you put a tether on an owner, you know, for whatever reason, you get better management because there is no owner in any sport who made his fortune by running a sports team. They all made it in other businesses, and sports is different than every other business. Jed York. Uh, took the absolute opposite turn uh, that to like, which is he got more involved. And that's not a good thing because football's not his business. And I'm not talking about the playing of football. I'm talking about the operating of a football team. He let himself get way too involved in the, in the fight with Jet, Jim Harbaugh when what he really should have done is just go to Trent Balky and say, I'm getting tired of this. You take care of it. And if you can't take care of it, I'll take care of both of you. Um, instead, he let it get personal. And he let it get to a matter where the very sound of Harbaugh's name made it sort of, it, it became Jed's cause. I will fix this myself. That's not his to fix. He hired him knowing that this was going to happen at some point. And when it was starting to get difficult, and it got difficult a lot earlier than than we think it did, he had to divorce himself from it because, frankly, Harbaugh was still bringing in the groceries. And either you're about the football operation or you're not. And I think Jed started to get confused about what people are really interested in in the 49ers. He thought it was a stadium. And the fact is it's not a stadium. No matter whether the, whether the stadium turned out to be the imperfect mess that it is or if it had turned out to be the Taj Mahal, your customers still want to know about the football team, and that's more important than anything. And I think Chet forgot that. Finally, Lou Wolf, John Fisher. Um, this is what happens when you let, when you let other people carry your water for you. 
he thought uh, Lou Wolf, well, John Fisher told Lou Wolf, get us to a new stadium. Lou Wolf went to, went to uh, Bud Selig and said, I want to go to San Jose. And, and basically, he back and said, you can make this happen because you know all the owners. And Bud Selig doesn't work for, for Lou Wolf. He works for the other 29 owners, too. And there are some guys in that owners, in those ownership groups who are far more influential than, than Lou Wolf. And they said, well, wait a minute. Why are you trying to sell us on this? Why isn't Wolf trying to sell us on it? Why isn't Fisher trying to sell us on it? If they don't care enough to come around and buttonhole us and make us offers to get our votes the way it always works in baseball, why should we help them? The, the, their failure is that they just thought, well, geez, of course we have to go to San Jose because that's just logical. That's not how it works in professional sports. It's, it's bribery. It's quid pro quo. It's one hand scratches the other. And they didn't do any of the political things you're supposed to do. And now they have no chance of going to San Jose, especially with the court case the other day. All right. We'll wrap this up with, with the question I asked everybody. Would, give me your favorite restaurant. Uh, so many choices. Well, I'm an East Bay guy, so this will be an East Bay choice. There's a place in Alameda called Papa, which is really good, really varied menu. Uh, it's one of the few places in Alameda where you can get a quality steak. Um, you know, I, I'm more of a tavern guy than I am a restaurant guy, but when, when it's time to go to dinner with the wife, uh, that's option one. Uh, it's just, it's got everything. It's, it's, well, it doesn't have everything. That's ridiculous. If you have everything, that it probably means you're making a lot of bad dishes, but that's the place I like the best. You want to go get some ribs now, by the way? I'm ready for lunch. Well, well who wouldn't? <laughs> who, whoever says no to that? Well, we'll, we'll, uh, yeah. we're gonna, I think we're gonna, I want to go to Rendezvous. That's the, the famous steak place. I mean, sorry, ribs place down here. It's, it's a little touristy, but it's damn good. And I think, uh, Ray Rattle and I might be strolling down there in just a little bit. This will come as a surprise to you, but I'm in favor of eating. Okay. <laughs> and we got we don't have we don't have warriors available for quite some time, so we can so enjoy our meal a little bit here. But again, Ray, thank you. I thank you very much for appearing on the show for our first dual phone in show. And if it's recorded and everything, it's gonna be uh it'll be a monument to technology and our producer Paul Bach. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And in closing I'd like to say hey. <laughs> Yeah, what happened? I, I, got, I, I was liking that early on. You kind of distracted me from what you were saying, which is always appreciated. Okay, well, everybody, that's the show for that's the show. I'm going to talk over Rada because we'll just end up doing this for an hour and a half. Uh, I think we went too long anyway, but that's all right. That's the show. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>